Good morning and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you the case of Thomas Stevenson. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. Thomas Stevenson grew up in Arkansas and was the youngest of 12 siblings five boys and seven girls. He served in the Air Force and he retired just shortly before he was 58 years old. And this was after serving in five countries and eight states. And when he retired in 1987, he was Chief Master Sergeant. Thomas was known as a really good person that was very kind, very compassionate basically just a good guy. He joined the military when he was 17 and he also lived by a very strict schedule in a way. He just was really particular about what he did every day and he was very dedicated to the people in his life and dedicated to his job. Even after retiring, he actually continued to work at the Davis Monthan base as a civilian employee. And while working there, he was the deputy supply chief. In August of 1998, he was at home, basically. His wife, Suzanne Stevenson, was out of town, and this was someone he had been married to for a very long time, and she actually was in Phoenix visiting a friend. At the time, they lived in Tucson, Arizona. On August 15th, Thomas woke up and went and played golf at a course on the base with some of his friends, and he was last seen leaving there around 11.30 a.m. As I mentioned, his wife was gone and she tried to call him on August 16th to check in in the morning and she didn't hear from him. So she just assumed he was out doing something or maybe out mowing or X, Y, and Z. However, later on, a secretary that worked at the base called Suzanne and basically was like, hey, Thomas didn't show up for work. Do you know what's going on? Because As I mentioned, he was very dedicated to his life and by he worked on a particular schedule. So it was really out of the ordinary for him to just not show up, especially without any type of phone call. So at this point, Suzanne's kind of concerned because this is very out of Thomas's character. And she comes home and she sees that Thomas's car is not in the garage and he drove a 1985 dark brown Nissan, and that'll come up a little bit later. Something else she notices is that his glasses are still in the house, which apparently Thomas had poor enough eyesight that there's absolutely zero way he would have driven without his glasses. They even go as far to say that like, he would put his glasses on to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night because his eyesight was that bad. 
Was his wallet found at the house? Glad you brought that up. There were a few things missing from the house of his. His wallet was one of them. Also, the comforter off of the bed was missing, as well as a gun that they kept in like an inside table. I think in the bedroom, that's kind of an assumption, but somewhere around there, there was a gun missing as well. I don't like the fact that the comforter is missing. They just points to something not good. Right, and they also mentioned that the mattress seemed a little, what they say, askew. It's off. It's not, you know, it's not on the frame like it's supposed to be. Suzanne calls the police department because she knows something's wrong. And something else that comes up, as I've mentioned, Thomas is very particular about his day and his routine. And one of his routines is that he would go golf and he would come right back and change out of his golf clothes and have a snack a very specific snack of popcorn and coke what they do see is that some of his golf clothes are in the hamper and that there's like some remnants i don't know exactly what that means but there's indications that he had had popcorn so they they're pretty sure he came back from the golf course went home was going through his routine and then something happened. Do you know what normally happened next in his routine after he would have his snack? I don't know for sure. I think maybe I saw something like he took a nap, but I'm not 100% certain on that. Well, that would make sense for the comforter. Yeah. Not that it'd be missing, though. Well, not that it'd be missing, but that he would be near a comforter that could also be taken with him. It also could point to the fact that the glasses are not on his face because if he was sleeping, he would have taken his glasses off. Yeah. Well, something interesting about stuff missing is what's not missing. is like no valuables are missing. And there's really, other than the bed being a little off, there's no sign of a struggle. There's no blood. There's no forced entry. There's really nothing that points to someone coming in and attacking him in the home. But at the same time, things are weird enough that his wife is like, no, something's up. Something happened. In addition to the fact that there's no sign of forced entry is Suzanne saying that Thomas, again, was kind of particular about stuff and she's pretty sure he wouldn't have let a stranger in the house. However, they think if someone did take Thomas that he did let them in because of the no forced entry. So she's pretty sure at this point, somebody he knew showed up and knocked on the door and Thomas let them in. At some point in the evening on the night that Thomas went missing, a phone call comes in that is anonymous and Suzanne Sneeze answers and she hears something like, help me. And she just instantly is like, here, and gives it to Detective Charlton. And what he hears is somebody calling saying they want $20,000 and Thomas's glasses, but they never leave or give any instructions. So they don't tell them where to drop the money or how to, you know, transfer money over or wire it or whatever. They get nothing. And had they previously announced that his glasses weren't with him, that they were still at the house? I'm guessing not. I mean, this was just the evening after they discover that he's missing. So at this point, they're assuming it's whoever is involved in this situation. I was going to say it has to be have possibly been Thomas himself. I would venture to guess that maybe the niece would have recognized it, but I don't think that was ever an assumption. 
You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the glasses because that's something that comes up a lot in this case are people who are trying to figure out what the heck, why is this? Because it's such a small thing, but it's not when you really think about it because obviously he's not going to drive off if he can't see unless he's like trying to sprint or escape from somebody and he doesn't have time to grab them if he had them off his face already. But it also points to the fact that the person who either kidnapped him or knows something knows that he left his glasses. And then why would they be requesting his glasses as well? And some people think maybe it was to like try to point, try to pretend or say that he's still alive. Like that's why they're asking for him to make Suzanne think he is alive to give the money, but it's just, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this little thing in particular. Well, when you first presented everything to me, the glasses were the one thing that I kind of stuck on. They just, Mm -hmm. like, especially if he was really that blind, like, and his car is missing, it kind of points to more than one person being involved in taking him. That's something that comes up a lot is that it was likely somebody he knew and likely more than one person. I will also mention, I mean, he's a retired vet. He's only 58. He's clearly in at least decent shape if he's golfing all the time. He's not a small guy. Like, he's not a big guy necessarily, but it would be really hard for one person to actually, like, physically subdue him and say they did harm him and he's knocked out or they harmed him and he's like he had passed away it would be very hard for somebody to by themselves take him out of the house and that's why a lot of people think maybe it was a two-person job and you know unfortunately when you live by a certain routine i saw a newspaper article that like his neighbors knew his routine because he stuck to it so strictly that they knew at 6 30 he was leaving for work and at 4 30 or 4 he was getting back home And it unfortunately can make somebody an easy target. And the fact that they attacked him or went into the house when Suzanne is conveniently out of town makes it seem like they either knew she was out of town because they knew them or they were staking out the house. I absolutely agree that having a specific routine definitely does make you an easier target. I also think, though, on the flip side, it can make it really easy for the people that know you and know your routine to recognize when something's off. So they were able to recognize, you know, that he had done all of those things during the day and he'd had his snack and they knew what he was most likely going to do next. And so they were able to say, well, he didn't do that. So it was between this time and this time, which narrowed it down a lot more. Like if somebody, if I were to go missing and somebody were to like retrace my steps, like I am all over the freaking place. I don't have a routine. I have a full-time job where I kind of make my own schedule and I am sometimes at appointments and I'm sometimes doing paperwork and I have a thousand other things that I like I don't have any sort of schedule that anybody would be like oh well she probably disappeared between this time and this time it's got a good and bad to it just like everything it's like like a double-edged sword like you know when you can get into somebody's home and not be noticed but at the same time you're right like it points to they knew him and at that point it's a little bit even riskier because they're going to obviously try to go back and see if they can find anybody that might fit the bill that knew him. A few other clues come up, and one of these, in theory, should be a pretty big clue, but person or persons, I should say, who was involved in Thomas's disappearance had a little bit of preparation. So, twice 
after his disappearance, somebody attempts to use Thomas's card at his bank at the ATM. And the first time is on August 16th at 12.05 a.m. So that's like the night he disappears, basically. I guess technically it might have been August 17th. But there's somebody who goes up to the bank and they have it on footage, but they're wearing what they say, describe as a heavy disguise. And he's not able to withdraw money, or she, I guess I should say. The person is not able to withdraw money because they enter the wrong pin. And then a little over eight hours later, so the next morning at 8.50 a.m., a person tries at bank one, which is who he banked through again, to withdraw money using his card. And this one is in Phoenix. However, again, they're heavily disguised. They have this shirt or cloth around their face. Um, There is a photo of them that was released by police to maybe hopefully get some type of identification but truly there's just no there's no way to tell but um we'll post that for you all to look at as well again same same situation they don't have the correct pin so they're not able to withdraw money a couple days later august 18th somebody calls the jim click dealership at the tuscan auto mall saying their car broke down and they need a tow back to the auto mall. And Jim Click, I guess, is like, it's a name that has multiple dealerships in the area, kind of like Erica, for your reference, like the, I think maybe it's, I don't remember if this is Muncie or Fort Wayne area, but like the Bob Rohrman, or like, you know what I mean? Like they have a few dealerships around, their name is all over the place on commercials. It's kind of that situation. Yeah. They don't represent one company or one type of car. They've got multiple places. Anyway, they use Thomas's credit card and they actually get a tow to the auto mall. What's not released is where the tow came from. But the car gets towed and a little bit later, a few days later, the car's not really picked up. But employees who work there, they start to notice this like smell coming from behind the shop and they go look and they can identify that it's from this car that has not been picked up. And so they call the Tuscan Police Department and on August 22nd, they identify the car as Thomas's and they open up the trunk and they find Thomas's body in the trunk of the car. He was wrapped up in the comforter that was missing from his home and also covered with what's described as a sunshade I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure what that is. And they determined that he died of asphyxiation. They were not able to get any DNA evidence from him, though, or from the trunk. They do say that there was some type of secretion on one of the nylon straps, but it was too deteriorated to get any type of DNA from it. Also, to my point earlier about his routine... And the fact that they think he made it home and had his snack, they do find that he had popcorn in his stomach, which was his snack. So they're pretty sure at this point he got home from his golf game and continued his routine like he normally does. Another thing that comes up that is not completely corroborated, it comes up in the case, I guess, as maybe something potential that could lead to at least getting answers or some type of lead to his disappearance is that supposedly he was seen when he was on the golf course talking to three men 
that were unidentified. And whether or not that's something involved in the case or not, it was something that was weird enough that it is reported on and is discussed. So here's kind of my thought process. As we talked about, I definitely think it had to be more than one person. First off, somebody most likely would have driven them there and then they would have taken Thomas's car. So that's two people at least. Also, Thomas was in the military. He was in the Air Force, as Abby had mentioned. I'm assuming he would have known how to take somebody down. They do quite a bit of training on that. So I assume he would have had to be subdued in a very specific manner in order to be in order to be taken. So I'm expecting it to be at least two people, if not three. But honestly, three kind of makes a lot of sense in this kind of situation. Just from like what you've mentioned, I'm almost led to believe that he was probably... I don't know. I'm almost led to believe that maybe they went back to the apartment with him afterwards for one reason or another, or he went back and then they followed him home, I guess. The forced entry is the thing that gets me because I almost wonder like if he would have let them in or not willingly. Well, that's what's interesting about that is his wife is like, he wouldn't have let strangers in if there's these random people that show up and talk to him and in theory he doesn't let in strangers it's weird that none of his friends or co-workers at the base knew these men either he doesn't know the men and in theory he wouldn't have left them in the house or he does know the men and for one reason or another the people at the golf course with him that he's with all the time don't know the men which also seems odd yeah the whole thing just seems really strange unfortunately just because of the case and the circumstances and the lack of evidence or dna this case is a cold case and has not been solved and the tuscan police department are continuing to investigate but right now they just don't have any leads Something I do want to reiterate that I mentioned earlier, they didn't really release where the car got towed from. It was broken down somewhere. And something else I kind of wonder about is someone called in to have it towed. So I wonder if they have any type of idea of where the call came from or not. And they're not releasing it because as we've mentioned before, sometimes, you know, they keep their hand close to their chest just in case something comes up and they can nab someone for it but I just kind of I wonder about that I mean it was in 1998 so obviously in the 2000s we've seen this kind of stuff especially with technology like it's a lot and DNA it's improved a lot so maybe they send the resources for it but it makes me wonder like where it came from well did you say that somebody called it to be towed because it was left on property or it was broken down? It stalled. It broke down. So, yeah, I feel like police have to know where it came from. Because I was like, if it was like a business, then there's not anybody mm-hmm. to really trace that back to, really. Yeah, from what I saw, they just didn't release it. Yeah, so I'm going to say the police probably have an idea and they just haven't had enough mm-hmm. evidence to be able to pinpoint it on one person. Well, as I mentioned, it is a cold case and not a whole lot has come up. However, Tuscan Police Department is still looking into the case and Thomas's family certainly is still looking into the case and advocating for some closure for his murder. And anybody with information can contact the Tuscan Police Department or they can call 88-CRIME. 
or go to www.88crime.org and submit anonymous tips. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.